The rugby wrap-up mobile, uh, mobile is ailing, and we need a new one. So what are we going to do? We're going to call Sheehy Auto Works and talk to Paul Sheehy, who happens to be co-owner of Old Glory DC, the Major League franchise in our nation's capital. Why are we mentioning Paul Sheehy and the, the DC franchise? Because Paul is breaking my stones off camera for not mentioning Old Glory more often, and I need a new car. Next on Rugby Wrap-Up, George Hook, Steve Lewis, and Matt McCarthy on French Folly, Puma Apologies, Wary Wallabies, and all things Autumn Rugby. Rugby Wrap-Up brought to you in part by The Pig and Whistle, the world's best rugby pub. The Murphy Kennedy Group, founded with the idea that construction can be done better. And Lean and Limber, stretching your way to a healthier lifestyle. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy in Midtown Manhattan. Thank you for joining us once again. We have another stellar show as we have Mr. Stephen Lewis joining us again, calling in from the Upper West Side of Manhattan, his bourgeois neighborhood, and Mr. George Hook changing it up a little bit for us. Uh, he's not in Dublin this week. He's in Cork. And George, we'll start with you. Why are you in Cork? Well, I'm in Cork because I'm going to visit my old school, the greatest rugby school in the Northern Hemisphere. And believe it or not, I'm St. Michael's? Be... <laughs> no, St. Michael's is in Dublin. and they're uh... Blackrock? <laughs> no, they're all pretenders to the throne. George, the last time I saw Steve, I learned two valuable lessons. I learned, A, that a single malt and a single male Scott are a dangerous duo, and after Steve uh, regaled me with some great whiskey and some great tales, I went home crying. I was weepy. So I'm here to apologize publicly to Steve Lewis for putting him in that embarrassing situation. I want to segue back into the rugby theme. And Mr. Alex Corbicero would have joined us today, but he couldn't because he had a higher power to answer to. It was his mom's birthday. And we'd like to wish Lorraine Corbicero a happy birthday and thank her for her boy, Alex. Another salute. How about Nigel Owens, 100th international test match as a referee, done with class? Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. Um, 100 tests for a referee is extraordinary. 100 tests doesn't mean an awful lot these days for players, to be honest. Um, but 100 tests for a referee is, is very special. Owens was talking about how this, he's, you know, could or may or may not be weaned out of coaching or refereeing international tests because world rugby wants to get some young blood in there, particularly ahead of the world cup in 2023. And all the criticisms were, Oh, this is just Nigel wanting to make the, the weekend about himself again. Well, I'd like to discuss the two extremities of refereeing, which were on show this weekend. One of which was Nigel Owens, who's a referee who's had a great feel for the game. Um, who's contributed a great deal to the game. There is this school of thought that he's all about himself, but uh, on balance, what a positive contributor. On the other end of the scale, the Frenchman, Romain Poit, whose name rhymes with some other things, notoriously unpopular in Scotland, having denied his three, possibly four victories, was at his absolute level worst in that game of the weekend. Let's go to Wales, England. Boring. George, Wells are a mess again. The first thing is, Pot was appalling, right? The Welsh try, which I believe, and, and 
the, the most distinguished Irish referee ever, Owen Doyle, happens to agree that it was a legitimate charge down. Um, and and Pat looked at the picture, disagreed with the TMO and allowed try. But the second one, the TMO tells him Bigger's been taken out in the air for the English try, and yeah. Pat doesn't even look at the replay. Extraordinary stuff. Wales are whatever we Irish and Scots might think, Wales have been the team of rugby consistently since World War II. And they are now awful. They are simply, and it's not, I'm not sure it's payback, although I know previous coaches have done well. I just think the Welsh game is in tatters. Um, and how can you have a legitimate Six Nations if there's only two teams in it? France and England. But you know, there is a gulf now in the Six Nations that has never been there in its history. It doesn't get any better for Wales with Pivak. It's unlikely that he'll be able to do what he did with Scarlets and make Wales effective. So is this a period of time where they're just looking to get another head coach in there? Pivak was brought in to instill a more entertaining attacking form of rugby, right? After Gatlin's very limited but very successful style. Um, it's not backfired. They're, they're one in seven, I think, or one in six under his tutelage. They've got Italy again this weekend, so maybe they'll squeak out another win. I don't think it's time to change their coach. Uh, Welsh rugby is in disarray, as George says, not just at the international level, at the club level, where all of the regions have significant financial challenges, won't be able to hold on to players. Um, so Wales, as, as you know, historically the best of the Celtic nations, um, are struggling, and they're struggling from top to bottom. To your other point about the amateur clubs, yes. they, brought, they voted to have Rob Butcher, who's basically a retired geography teacher, come in and run the WRU. That's just, it seems like that's an element for disaster. Basically, no business background, and it's, it's it rings of amateur rugby in, in here, over here, you know, with amateurs running an amateur organization. And I'm just shocked by it. The entirety of Welsh rugby seems to be in chaos. If you look at the different countries, right? Scotland was never prepared for professional rugby. Didn't want it. Scotland is the most conservative of uh, the Six Nations. And they didn't want it. So they weren't remotely prepared for it. Uh, and they, they did everything badly. The Welsh, on the other hand, were, was a rugby-based on coal miners and steel workers and everything. So in the old amateur era, the, the Welsh, apart from the fact they produced great fly halves and scrum halves, they also produced some of the toughest forwards in the game. Suddenly they become professional. The school's game becomes weakened and therefore they have no natural inflow into the game. And because they haven't got any money, and remember Wales have never had money. Wales actually never had money. So now, because it was a working class game, unlike Scotland and Ireland, I'm sorry for giving you a history lesson, but it, it is fact. Scotland and Ireland, it was a middle class game. There was money in Scotland and Ireland. It was never money in Wales because it was based on coal miners and everything else. So now the, the Welsh regions, therefore, where previously you had halcyon names, 
you know, like Clannachley and places like that, were, that were fearsome, for, even for the All Blacks to face. Now they're a mix and gather them useless bunch. But the point now is your guy who's running WRU, and just to be clear, the, butcher. the Welsh Rugby Union as opposed to World Rugby, um, it doesn't actually matter. Wales can't afford to keep a good player, as Steve has said. It doesn't matter whether you come to Steve or I, really, because I think on many of these matters, we are at one, and we can see what's going wrong with the game over here. And you, next year, there is, a, I think, a strong possibility, more than a probability, that there won't be people in the seats for the Six Nations Championship. In the seats, I mean, 50,000 people. You can't. We're going we're gonna to keep our fingers crossed that you're wrong. Let's move along, though. France, 36, Italy, 5. Didn't think two things. I didn't think it would take 25 minutes for the first try to be scored, and I certainly didn't think Italy would be the first try scorers. Any surprises there for you in that match? No, really. I mean, uh, what was impressive in France's uh, point of view is that this agreement that Galtier, the coach, had struck with the top 14 league, whereby he would only use his top players, they would only be used three times out of four or five weeks. Okay, and he chose to front load. So basically he came into this game, made 13 changes, two starters, and it is going to devalue the final uh, next week. But for them to come out and, and wallop Italy um, in the end, convincingly, I thought was, was uh, quite a testament to the strength of French club rugby. Um, for the Italians, missing Paledri, the Gloucester back row, and uh, Sebastian Negri as well, they're just not as deep. So when they lose two or three influential players, they're, they're even less of a team than they were previously when they were somewhat competitive. So for France, I think terrific. I think for this tournament, I've not been a fan of this tournament to start with other than the necessity of replenishing bank balances and for players to play and coaches to coach. There are two teams, I think, who have come out of it with some kind of pluses. Scotland and particularly Italy. I think Italy have done really well, albeit for only half a match in each case, but they've done really well. Um, but they're still not worth the place at the Six Nations. And Georgia have proved to are like the seventh team, if you like. And if there wasn't to be Italy, there would be Georgia. I mean, Georgia would have difficulty beating, you know, the, the uh, Mercy Convent to under 17s. I, I dispute that. I don't think that they would have a difficulty beating. Mercy. They were awful. They can't catch the ball. They don't have a line out. I mean, they can defend, you know, because they, uh, if you walk down the street in, in downtown Georgia and you throw a stone, it's going to hit a prop forward. That's the country, so, folks, not the state. You All right, know. you mentioned Georgia, so we got to segue into Georgia. Ireland 23, Georgia 10. Georgia scored their first try of the tourney with a long run right up the gut by their outside center. 25 meters basically scored under the posts as defensive guru Andy Farrell's charges were like slapping at him. Where was the defense, George? It, it, does it matter who's coaching Ireland? They keep picking Stockdale, your boy? He's a strong guy with a booming left foot and surprisingly a very good passer. But he wouldn't knock the skin off a rice pudding as a defender. I mean, the try he gave away, 
when I, because I was a coward, I mean, the only thing that stopped me from reaching the very top as a player in rugby was I was a coward. Now, what you do when you're a coward, in order to avoid a tackle, you buy the dummy. That's the coward's way out, always. Buy the dummy. Guilty. And Stockdale, Stockdale just copped out. He's an awful defender. Stockdale... You know, it's pluses and minuses. Do the pluses outweigh the minuses? And in a modern game where defense or defense is paramount, you're probably not going to pick them. Coaches are not going to pick them because coaches' livelihoods depend on results. Um, so coaches will... and So that's something of an anomaly. Why are Ireland picking them, right? But um, I wouldn't pick them right now. Not, not a fullback. I pick him at wing. Is what, what I'm saying, and you know. Oh, oh, well, whether you spell defense with an S or a C, it's the same. Stockdale cannot defend as a fullback or as a wing. Doesn't matter. He's more exposed as a fullback, but you can bet your bottom dollar he's going to be exposed as a wing as well. On that, that note, we're going to take great. a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. Been blind since I was four. And I've never seen a beer commercial or a beer label. None of that stuff influences me. I drink beer because of the taste. And my beer is Pabst Blue Ribbon. It has the taste and the flavor. What do you think's on the label? I think there's a, a naked woman riding on a unicorn, jumping over fire. Oh, that's good beer. City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig and Whistle on West 36th Street. And we are back with Mr. George Hook in Cork and Steve Lewis on the Upper West Side. And we had the All Blacks sending a message that maybe reports of their demise were premature. 38 zip. There are a couple of interesting things going on here. One, it's interesting, the referee. The previous week, we saw two red cards by Nick Berry. He came in for ferocious abuse uh, for giving it. It was a clear red card when Lomax went in with his forearm on the Argentinian on the ground and Berry chickened out. And here's what is also likely to happen is referees, as they become under more and more pressure, will, will be in danger of chickening out. The only rugby has been played in the Southern Hemisphere. What we're playing is, to use a great British phrase, meat and two veg. I mean, Oscar, what we're playing is awful, it's stultifying. It's You're not going to get much of an argument with, with me on the, the play comparison because... There was some there was some exciting rugby, albeit one sided, played in that New Zealand Argentina match. Uh, but Steve, if you are Mario Ledesma right now, what are you saying to your your team? Are are, are they done? Are they spent? So from a rugby perspective, disappointing performance from the Argentines. Obviously, the big news really is off the field for Argentina after this game, where you've had this uh, scandal of um, of previous 
I think emails or texts coming to four, particularly their captain Pablo Matera and two of his other players who have been suspended by the Argentine Union. Um, these texts were offensive in nature and sort of ethno-nationalist way. They were 10, 9, 10 years ago. Um, and all three players have, um, have made their apologies and have taken it on the chin. But um, when you lose your captain and a couple of players after a heavy defeat, Ledesma has got his work cut out for himself this week against Australia. And George, is this a must win for, for Dave Rennie? When you think what Argentina have done, and they hadn't played a game for over a year before they came into this tournament, is unbelievable. Don't worry about that match. But what they've done in this is magnificent. And Ledesma deserves the highest credit for it. Australia is the worry. Because it doesn't matter whether Australia win, lose or draw. The domestic game is in crisis. Uh, and it's losing out huge. But this is my point. It does matter if they win, lose or draw this match. Right? Because they have such... They have I an opportunity got, to maybe I get some fans crisis, back. I, I think the crisis is too big. I think the crisis is much bigger than winning or losing a game. They're, they're like, which again, Steve and I would understand. Australian rugby is based on the middle class schools, the private school, the feed bank school, um, and they're losing out there. Then they, they are losing out monumentally to rugby league, uh, to rules, the, the national sport in Australia, and soccer of all things. So therefore, they've got problems way beyond just simply winning the match. Australia now are the sick boy of Southern Hemisphere rugby, but anything positive is coming from, from the Southern Hemisphere. There's no question about that. Well, I may be, out of our panel, when it comes to rugby knowledge, the most impecunious of the three of us today, but I do understand what you were saying, sir. Uh, but are we penalizing rugby players too much and, and trying to expect too much out of them off the pitch because they are rugby players. It's the modern world. We've all made mistakes and whatever you, sometimes what you write, text, emails are memorialized. And, and unfortunately when public figures, they're gonna come out. Uh, there's nothing, it was done. It was exposed. Um, they apologized. They will take their punishment and they should be given a second chance. That's my take on it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's go back north uh, as we wind up this uh, very interesting show. Uh, Georgia versus Fiji, as of now, is on. Two distinct styles going at it. Can Fiji bounce back uh, from the COVID uh, rust, if you will, and win this one, George? I actually don't care. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to watch it, even if it takes, it takes place. Uh, uh, go back to the very beginning of this program, again, Steve, where he said, like, couldn't understand what this tournament is and what it was all about and everything else. This is the bottom of a tournament that has no function in the first place. Um, I can't see Georgia beating anybody. I mean, I think whatever state Fiji is in at the moment, and it's got as much domestic problems as on-field problems, um, whatever state they're in, they'll beat Georgia. Georgia have nothing to offer. But they only know? lost by 13 points to Ireland. 
What am I we're talking about Ireland? Uh, well, you know what? And they, only, and they lost 18 we're talking about, That's better than Italy. We're talking about the worst team in the Six Nations, if you exclude Italy from it, who are clearly the worst. But of, of the serious rugby playing countries in the Six Nations, Ireland are now comfortably the worst. Georgia is in this tournament because South Africa and Japan couldn't be. So they were throwing some scraps, right? And now they're not going to get another test run. I mean, another test against the Tier 1 nation. Maybe Scotland plays them once or twice before the World Cup. But what what was the whole point of it? Just to fill in and say thanks? What was the point of their inclusion? Yeah. Yeah, well, they were next country up, right? As you said before, it was meant to be South Africa who opted out. Then Japan were invited, and they opted out. So who were you left with? You know, Georgia. So Georgia were brought in. Um, that's not their fault. They were invited. They were woefully underprepared. They didn't have a coach. I believe they've lost their funder. They're, um, they are subject to this uh, world rugby sporting coaching colonialism where they parachute a guy in for a year with very little understanding on one of their retreads. And uh, that doesn't help them because they're not developing Georgian coaches. So I've got a bit of sympathy for the Georgians. I don't think they're a great side. Fiji, on the other hand, have Vern Cotter, who, who must be going berserk, having spent a month in a Paris hotel room. Oh. Um, you've got to hope that the Fijians, once they get on the field, will be able to um, conjure some of the magic tricks and hopefully they can entertain. Um, so, again, I'm not sure I'm going to watch it, but I probably will because we have signed one of the, in New York, Rooney, have signed one of these Fijian players. So I want to see what he's like, but that's probably the only reason I'd watch it. Two, Scotland and Ireland. Scotland can win this match. And certainly they've played a better brand of rugby, arguably, than Ireland has, George. Beating a dead horse. Here. One of the things. One of the things. Hold on, they, Steve. What were you, what, you're mumbling? You're, you're beating a dead horse. Which dead horse? There's about five of them beating in this whole show. On Ireland, you, you know the response you're going to get. No, hold on. You don't know that. Go ahead, George. Fool them. One of the great failures of this show has been its inability to recognize the extraordinary gems that Steve brings to it week after week after week. And one of his great gems of, of, of Manny uh, today was he said that Pivak, or he probably actually is Pivak if he's a Yugoslav or whatever, but Wayne Pivak, the, the Wales coach, <laughs> Steve said he was born Yugoslavia doesn't exist any to, longer. To, to play a better game. Does Tito still exist? Anyway, we'll talk about that another day. Um, so he was brought in to play a better class of rugby, a more entertaining kind of rugby than Gatlin's stuffing up your jumper. Precisely the same thing happened in Ireland. Uh, Schmidt, who uh, believed that the ball should never be passed, and the, it required 75 rocks before eventually somebody fell over the line from a yard, was his coaching method. It worked, but it was awful. So to bring Farrell in and it's going to be, you know, all bells and whistles. Now, a number of problems here. Farrell is no good and he is a dreadful selector. Can Ireland beat Scotland? No, no, okay. no. Steve? I, I don't think so this weekend. Um, I, I think, and we again talked about it before, but in contrast to Wales and Ireland, uh, Scotland brought in a coach specifically Townsend initially 
because of his swashbuckling, speed of rugby, pace of the game, entertainment. He has prospered as an international coach, unfortunately, because he's ratcheted it back, all right? And Scotland have become more pragmatic. They're still playing some good rugby, but they've developed a little more steel in their pack and they're playing a bit more percentage rugby. Um, so, so it's kind of interesting how that works, but I do think they're a team on the rise. I think uh, they've been in, in their defeats in the last 12 months. England, seven points. Uh, France last week, seven points. They've gone eight, nine games now. They've won six, seven, and, and they've been in every game. Um, in the absence of Russell, who I think gives them that little bit extra if he comes back creatively, I, I think Scotland are poised for quite a good run over the next 24 months. I think they're a team on the ascent, whereas I think Ireland are a team going in the opposite direction. Scotland will win. Scotland will win. Thank you. That was okay. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Let's make it brief on Wales, Italy. I think Wales could struggle desperately in this one and just eke out a win. What do you think, Stephen? I think Wales will beat Italy. I concur. All right. And then finally, the controversial match between England and France. Controversial because I think Galtier is blowing smoke with his uh, plea of no players because, yeah, he's losing significant players, but he's got experience coming in. And as our friend James Harrington, who is an authority on all things French rugby, pointed out in Twitter, if you go back to February when France beat England, the cap difference there was 219 caps for France to England's 675. And yeah, we're in the same scenario again, but maybe he's just building this up to make himself look good if they're competitive. Well, the issue is, for those who are not aware, is that it looks like France are, pick, France are picking a second, uh, a second 15. Um, this was an agreement made prior to the tournament between Gauthier and the top 14 that we don't use, we only take their players away from their precious club rugby, who are their primary employers for three of the five weekends. Um, so that devalues it because it devalues what's already a devalued tournament. I mean, we're going around in circles here. I, I think they're good rugby players. I think they've got a point to prove. Sometimes hungry players can be effective players. They, can, they are very effective players. So perhaps this French team can spring a surprise. I mean, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. I think kicking it up in the air and running after it is going to triumph over skill, talent, and entertainment. And what you, you're, you know, you're, you're going to get some uh, fellas singing off key and Bing Crosby just isn't going to make it. And the off key singer is going to win. And that's a tragedy. See, rugby <sighs> is so bad right now because the players and the coaching is so good. It's so efficient that they've, they've taken all the joy, all the spontaneity out of it. And the final product is awful because they're quite good at their jobs. So are we going to have to have dramatic We can fix it. We can, fix it. We can fix it. Yeah, well, the fixing, no, the fixing has to wait. The fi we can't do it in this show. We can't possibly do it in this show. That's a four-hour show. It's a four-hour show. We'll start with Owen, uh, Nigel Owen's tweaks to the game. But uh, I'm going to go with England at home. I, I think they're going to win by 15 points. And, I, and remember, I picked, uh, I picked the Pumas by four over New Zealand last weekend. So take that with a grain of salt. I know, I know these are George considers them show ponies, but we're finally seeing a return to action of the U.S. Eagle Sevens team this weekend, Friday and Saturday. They're playing in the Golden Eagles showdown. They're actually playing rugby, though George 
doesn't consider it as such. But um, good luck to them. And the Eagles women's sevens finally getting a proper hit out. Tokyo is still alive further down the road. So I'd like to wish them all the best of luck. And on that note, on behalf of Mr. George Hook calling in from Cork and Mr. Steve Lewis calling in from the Upper West Side, happy birthday to Mrs. Corbicero. I'm Matt McCarthy for Rugby Wrap-Up, signing off.